A large portion of the Jewish nation has returned to its homeland, but the heart, soul, and mind of much of the Jewish nation are still in exile mode. This state of affairs must and will inevitably change. This is Torah Nation TV, and you are listening to a recording of the Zoom Shi'ur delivered by Rabbi David Bar Chaim, answering questions from students. Uh, the next question is from Yerachmiel Ben Svi in Mavaot Yericho. Um, it's about a passage in Sefer HaMakabim. Uh, so he asks, in Sefer HaMakabim, and later copied by Josephus, is a series of correspondence between the Hashmonaim and the Spartans, in which Arius, king of Sparta, claims that the Jews and the Spartans are both descended from Abraham. Why are these letters included in the book? Could it be to highlight that the Jews have cousins who are known warriors, thereby, point, thereby pointing to their own potential to win the war? And given that the, the cousins never helped, could it be to highlight that they had to fight, the Jews had to fight on their own? This is a very, very interesting question, but uh, frankly, I did not have any answer. In other words, let us begin at the beginning. Who, who wrote... Uh, there's more than one Sefer HaMakabim, there's uh, at least two, two major texts called Sefer HaMakabim, therefore they're called Aleph and Bet, one and two, and there's actually also other, um, even three and four sort of spin-offs and, and more minor versions. They're all different texts that were clearly not written by the same people, and we don't know who wrote these, these books. They're not considered uh, to have been written the Ruach HaKodesh, the, the only one that is historically accurate and does not write, uh, does not include all kinds of fanciful and uh, unlikely information and stories is Maccabim Aleph, which was probably written by, by, almost certainly written by eyewitnesses, perhaps even people who were soldiers in Yudha Maccabee's army or people who were very close to the events, uh, whereas Maccabim Bet, for example, was was uh, written by Jew or Jews living in Alexandria in in Egypt, which was a very different Jewish community, and uh, immediately you find there are all kinds of fanciful and miraculous events that that are not mentioned anywhere else. And uh, frankly, I I believe one should discount. But why any, any given thing is written in this or that version of these books, if it uh, seems unlikely or far-fetched, I, I really cannot say. I also am not aware of any other source that makes this claim that the Spartans were somehow descended from Abraham Avinu. If there's any truth to it, I don't know where how how we, how we could uh, either prove this or disprove it, but uh, I, it does. This information or this claim does not appear, to the best of my knowledge, anywhere else. Why why is this mentioned? Such a correspondence apparently took place. The Jews in Eretz Yisrael were were happy to would have been happy to receive assistance from other peoples to uh, throw off the yoke of the. Uh, Greco-Syrians, who uh, ruled uh, many areas uh, of the Middle East at that time, including Eretz Israel, 
And that's why uh, there were diplomatic missions and uh, there, were, uh, there were discussions between the, the Jews and other peoples in, in the Mediterranean area. The Spartans apparently didn't think it was worth their while or they had the, uh, the uh, wherewithal to get involved, and they did not, as far as we know. And Baruch Hashem, uh, we, managed, we managed without their assistance. Right. Um, the next question, um, I think the Rav may have partially answered this already, um, but it's from David in New York. Uh, sorry, I should first check with um, with Yerachmiel um, if there's anything that, need, that, that you'd like clarified. Yerachmiel. No, no, that's good. Excellent. Um, right, so the next, the next question is from David in New York. Um, why is Sefer HaMakabim not in Tanakh? And did anyone preserve it except for the Christian Church? First of all, it is entirely correct that uh, Sefer HaMakabim, or the various texts known by that name, one, two, three, and four, and many other texts are generally known as, uh, in Hebrew, as Asafarim uh, HaHithonim, the the uh, books that are not included in the Tanakh. And these books were, in fact, lost and, and largely forgotten by the Jewish people. And uh, strangely enough, we have to thank the uh, various Christian denominations, the, the various ancient Christian churches, uh, the Orthodox and uh, Orthodox Church, some of the Orthodox churches, the Catholic, and even the Ethiopian Church, for preserving these texts uh, in various forms. It seems, for example, that uh, Maccabim Aleph was originally originally written in Hebrew, but we do not have the original Hebrew text. What we have today in Hebrew is a translation from the Greek which was originally a translation from the Hebrew, so it was translated back into the original. It would be better to have the original, but we don't. But we would not have anything were it not for the various uh, churches having preserved these, these writings as, as uh, part of their canon. So there is, uh, there is a purpose uh, in uh, Hashem's bringing these institutions into the world and uh, making it possible for us to become reacquainted with these texts. And many of these texts are very, very illuminating. Some of them are also very strange and uh, problematic in various ways. And some of them are very informative and we can learn a great deal about the history of that time by studying some of these texts. And the same is true of the writings of uh, Josephus, Josephus Flavius. Without his writings, there are many things we would not know. And with them, we do know. And these writings also were not preserved by the Jews. He wrote them uh, in Rome for the Romans uh, and uh, for the Gentile world. And uh, they were preserved by that world. And today we're able to, to see and uh, learn from these writings, what, what we are able to learn. But these are not halachic sources, generally speaking. But they do uh, shed light on, on many various aspects and uh, 
concepts and uh, including Hanukkah, various things in the Torah become clearer when we how things occurred, what was the chronology and the the chain of events. These things can become clear when you when we uh, have the 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 possibility of examining these texts, which many of our forefathers for many generations did not have. Uh, so you know, Rambam did not, for example, Rashi and Rambam did not see uh, the, these books and uh, did not know all, all that we we can know today, historically speaking. Okay, thank you, Arav. Um, the uh, is, is David from New York uh, online? Do you need anything clarified? Um, there was there was the question why 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 these books are not in the Tanakh. Um, all right, so I'll, I'll address that. It's a, this is a very good question. It's a very general question. Really, the question needs to be uh, re restated. Why is it that the last of the books of the Tanakh, chronologically speaking, describe events in Eretz Yisrael and also outside Eretz Yisrael at the beginning of Bayit Sheni? That is to say, approximately uh, two and a half thousand years ago, 2,400 plus years ago, but not after that point. In other words, why were, were there no written records? Why do we not have any book in the Tanakh that describes events in Eretz Yisrael, things that occurred to Am Yisrael, just as Ezra and Nehemiah, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, for example, describe the events of their time, why are there not books that continue to describe the events after their generation? This question is asked by Shabtai ben Dov in his uh, writings. And the answer he gives is roughly as follows. But the fact is, there are no books. There are no uh, official books that uh, Hazal uh, knew of or, or at, at least uh, gave um, gave their their uh, stamp of approval to describing events after that time. Shabtai ben Dov suggests that the Jewish people who had returned in some part of the Jewish people had returned to Eretz Yisrael approximately uh, two and a half thousand years ago. They they fell into a kind a kind of malaise, both uh, spiritual, at least uh, at, during some periods, there was also a spiritual malaise that we know, for example, in Ezra Nehemiah, we see explicitly there were there was a lot of intermarriage with uh, with uh, other nations in, in the area. Ezra tried to separate uh, the men from, from these foreign women that they had met, married and their children, uh, apparently with only partial success. But this was a widespread phenomenon. And there was also uh, a malaise in the political and uh, ideological sense. In other words, the Jewish people did not, were, were apparently unable to focus their attentions and their energies on freeing themselves of foreign domination and establishing themselves as, a, as, a, as an independent Jewish commonwealth. This did not happen even when the Jews returned to Eretz Yisrael. This did not happen for some 300 odd years until the time of the Maccabim. 
So it was the, it was actually the gezerot, the decrees of Antiochus against uh, Jews living as Jews in Eretz Yisrael, which eventually, and that also took a long time, eventually led to a large-scale revolt. That revolt led, in the fullness of time, to uh, an independent Jewish malchut, an independent Jewish commonwealth, as Rambam himself points out in Yilchot Hanukkah. He mentions this as one of the outcomes of the of this great revolt against uh, the Greco-Syrians. So the Jewish people became, for the first time in hundreds of years, from since the, the time of the destruction of the first Mikdash, the first temple, the Jewish people were once again a sovereign nation in their own land. This did not last forever, but it lasted for some time. This is what's known as Malchut Beth Hashmonai, and this was a very important historical development. And were it not for the events of Hanukkah, and the revolt against the uh, the foreign oppressors, uh, which involved which and and the 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 true motivation, the most essential and, and uh, fundamental motivation for that revolt was religious persecution. That the Jews no longer had the option of living as Jews at all in Eretz Yisrael. It was either living as as a goy or or dying as a Jew. But there was no option to live as a Jew. And and uh, eventually, this led to large-scale revolt, which was successful, perhaps more successful than anyone had believed possible. And without those events, those historical events of Hanukkah, which we celebrate every year, it is clear, I think, that the Jewish people would not have survived, and we would not be here discussing these things. So Hanukkah is absolutely a watershed event in Jewish history, even though the achievements of, of, of that of that revolt and the the uh, fruits of that of that of those uh, efforts did not uh, last for forever historically they 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 dissipated after a relatively short space space of time but they did have this major impact on on Jewish awareness and Jewish survival that the Jewish people survived as a Jewish people so Hanukkah is a very, very central uh, time in the Jewish calendar, and that is why Chazal went out of their way to to stress this fact by instituting the Miswah of, of Ner Hanukkah and reciting uh, uh, Hallel for eight days straight, which is the only, the only two times in the year when we recite Hallel eight days straight, and that is Hanukkah and Sukkot. We also say Aranisim uh, for eight days, etc. Uh, I hope I've answered that. David? Uh, Toda, that, that was very enlightening. Um, uh, just one follow-up. Uh, uh, the book of Daniel is, is in the Tanakh, correct? Um, how close in time were Daniel and the Maccabees? Well, there's, there's, uh, there's a quite a long, long time, of something like 300 years plus uh, between these two. These two, uh, the time of Daniel and the time of the Maccabim is roughly uh, 300 plus years apart. More than that, in fact. Okay, thank you. Um, so, um, the next question is actually for me. Um, Seva Maccabim tells us that the Hashmanayim celebrated, celebrated Sukkot for eight days after winning the war, as they could not do so uh, in Tishrei because they were in the middle of a war. Um, 
but today we would say that this is a sort of that you can't you can't just celebrate Sukkot and Kislev. Um, so what, what would what gave them the right to do this? Is the story maybe suspect, or am I thinking too halakhically? Although I, I think the Rav may have maybe answered it by saying that Maccabin Bet was a less authoritative source than Maccabin Aleph, and I believe this appears in Maccabin Bet. First of all, you are correct. It does appear in Maccabin Beth. And yes, Maccabin Beth, in, in many respects, is less reliable than Maccabin Aleph. However, having said that, there is much information in Maccabin Beth, which I think is an entirely reliable and uh, and Baruch Hashem, we have Maccabin Beth as well, because not everything is written in Maccabin Aleph. And I would say that this statement, uh, that they celebrated Hanukkah, the Hanukkah HaMizbeah, Hanukkah HaMikdash, the rededication and the uh, reinstallation of the Mikdash, at the time of Hanukkah, the end of Kislev, for eight days, because they were unable to celebrate Sukkoth a few months, a couple of months before, because they were still in the midst of the uh, the, the fighting, the, the the warfare that was going on. Such a such a story is, is it's about such things that one the we have the expression in English that you can't make such things up. In other words, no no person would have made up such a claim that they celebrated for eight days because they missed uh, Sukkoth. This would not have occurred to any any person who was trying to uh, invent uh, a nice, a good storyline. It doesn't say, by the way, in Maccabim Beth that they celebrated Sukkoth. They didn't celebrate Sukkoth. They didn't have uh, Yom Tov. They did not uh, bring the Korbanoth of Sukkoth uh, during the days of Hanukkah. What they did was, because they felt the lack of, of Sukkoth, that they were unable to celebrate that year, they did take uh, Arbath Aminim, to, uh, to the extent that they were able at least, and uh, and uh, walked around with them and, and uh, prayed with them in the Mikdash, the newly established, re-established Mikdash. And they, and they chose eight days, according to this source in Maccabim Beth, they chose to do so for eight days as a kind of Tashlumim, it's not really a tashlumim. There's no way of making up for a missed chag that you are unable to celebrate because you were in the middle of fighting for your life. Uh, they were literally living in caves and living uh, in rough and uh, living off the land. And uh, it was a, a time of complete emergency. And obviously they were patur. They were exempt from, from any of these things. And you cannot make up for that. And they didn't have to make up for it, but they felt that, that they wanted to do something to uh, come in, in place of the Sukkot that they had missed. And, so, and, and, they, and they therefore combined the Hanukkah of the Mizbeach, the rededication of the Mizbeach and the Mikdash, which they began doing on the 25th of Kislev. They, they, together with that, they also did some other things that were reminiscent of, of uh, Sukkot. So apparently they said Halel for eight days at that time as well, which was something they were doing would have done on Sukkot, and they used their Abath uh, So that's what it means when they, when it refers to Sukkot. They celebrated Sukkot Mamash, but they uh, did a few things in order to, Zechel uh, Adavar, in order to uh, make up in some way for that which had been missed. It has seemed a bit far-fetched to me that that they were able to get hold of what we'd consider to be Abba Minim um, in the middle of winter after a war. Um, should we maybe 
conceive of, of Abba Minim slightly differently. I'm not sure why you why you think it's impossible to come uh, come across Arbath Aminim. It's not, first of all, it's not the middle of winter; it's still the beginning of winter. Second of all, uh, I have actually sitting right next to me here my Arbath Aminim is still in my plastic uh, um, holder, um, which I just put there since Sukkoth and haven't touched. And uh, an etrog is something which is, is certainly available because an etrog, if left on the tree, just continues to grow. That's the nature of the etrog. In fact, it's true of other fruit, citrus fruit as well, like lemons, uh, that if you leave them on the tree, they continue to grow. Etrogim, uh, that's why certain strains of etrogim, like tevani etrogim, can become very large, but that's only if you leave them on the tree from year to year. Petrogim would, would have been available. I don't see why not. They maybe didn't harvest them before Sukkot, but they could have got them at this time. Uh, they, weren't, they weren't about to, they didn't disappear. It's not something that rots on the tree. Um, Lulavim perhaps were harder to come by. Maybe they had, uh, they used palm branches of any kind they could find. Again, we're not talking about being doing the miswa because that's not the time. But it's doing something similar too. So whatever kind of palm fronds were available, and they could have been, uh, just they probably were no longer in, in the lulav state, the, the initial uh, unopened state of a lulav, but they probably took something they could find. As for aravot, as for willows, they, they are available. As for hadasim, likewise, they, 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 don't, uh, they don't drop off and disappear. If you don't uh, cut them off uh, the tree earlier, they're, they're still there a couple of months later. Okay, anyway, thank you. I'm sure, I'm sure they did whatever they could do. Mm-hmm. Uh, in order to reenact something resembling Sukkot. That's, that's the idea. And and this is at least one of the reasons why Hanukkah is for eight days. Okay, thank you. We have um, we have three minutes. So um, the final final question we'll be able to cover is from uh, Gabrielle, uh, who is the 12-year-old son of Natan Zipper. Um, the question is, why does most of Am Yisrael focus on the Nes Pahashemen? As opposed to the military victory over the Assyrian Greeks, I, I know that the Rav could probably speak for hours about this, but Beregalahat uh, in three minutes. All right, Beregalahat. <clears throat> I remember many, many years ago being asked by uh, someone why I uh, why I was stressing, and when I spoke to this person, why I was stressing the importance of studying the Tanakh. And he said, well, we see in, in most yeshivot, they don't study the Tanakh. And I said, you're right, they don't. And that's precisely the problem. Why don't they study the Tanakh? And I said, the real reason is that over time, it became increasingly difficult, well-nigh impossible, for Jews living in a Galut-type reality to relate to the kinds of Jews being described in the Tanakh, Jews living in their own land, living as a sovereign people, fighting their enemies, going to war, uh, tilling the soil. Keep in mind, uh, Jews in most countries, in most places in the Galuth, for centuries, if not for millennia, were barred by law from owning land and from being farmers and tilling the land. The Jews were forced into other trades, merchants, money lending, what have you. The kind of Jew, therefore, described in the Tanakh was simply something that uh, many Jews increasingly over 
with every subsequent generation, Jews could not relate and could not understand such people. And I think uh, if everyone, uh, if, if a person today thinks about uh, your average Satma uh, Chosid, uh, how how can does how does he relate to the concept of a of a from Jew learning how to use a rifle and and shoot his enemies dead? Um, frankly, I don't think they really can relate to that. It just doesn't really make sense to them. That's not what Jews do. That's simply not what Jews do. It's it's not it's not part of uh, of the Jewish experience. And the Tanakh is is a is is a collection of sfarim that describe a, a reality that's so different from Galuth that. Uh, it became more and more foreign to to Jews. The language also was a problem, uh, no doubt. But, uh, but the first barrier, the first difficulty, is a psychological barrier. How to how to relate to these people? Now, you did not need to explain to Jews in Eretz Israel at the time of the events of Hanukkah why you celebrated Hanukkah. Everyone knew. Everyone knew that uh, before this time, uh, they were unable to live as Jews. They were unable to study Torah, keep Shabbat, do Barith Milah, etc., etc. And people who did and were ca were caught uh, doing these things, keeping these misworth, were put to death. We have many stories again in the Sfarim Chitzanim and the uh, books not included in the Tanakh um, relating some of these events. And there are many Midrashim and Agadot speaking about these things. These things are based on realities, that the situation was very, very dire. And as I said before, the Jewish people would have disappeared. You did not need to explain this to people who lived through those events in Eretz Yisrael. But if you spoke to Jews living in other parts of the world, such as in Egypt, where they didn't really experience all these events, these goings-on, and the subjugation, in Eretz Yisrael of the Jews by, by foreigners, or the Jews in Bavel. The majority of the Jews at this time still lived in Bavel, in Babylon, where the situation was relatively calm. Uh, all these events and all these stories really didn't make any sense. But the uh, idea of a miracle involving oil uh, to do with the menorah and the Mikdash, that was something that they could latch onto. That was something that made sense, so to speak. Something that was much more um, how shall one put it? More, some, more with it. Something that you could uh, relate to. You could, you could tell the story to your children, and uh, it was, it was something that uh, Jews in the Galuth felt good about, and they didn't, they did not need to get out of their own heads, out of their own reality, to try and understand a different reality, a different world. And that's, I believe, what happened. That's why you find. Of there, are, there are about five sources in the in 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 Chazal that just give reasons for Hanukkah. And of those five sources, only one mentions the oil. All the others mention the the uh, dire situation that the Jews found themselves in, and the the revolt, and the victories in battle, and the return to Jerusalem after. Several years where Yerushalayim had been Yudenrein, no Jews were allowed into Yerushalayim or into the Mikdash, <clears throat> uh, and that is if one wants to see, and uh, if one re requires further proof of this, one just has to look at the Nusach of Al Hanisim that we recite. If one looks at Al Hanisim that we, we recite during Hanukkah, 
every time we say Birkat HaMazon or in Tefillah, etc., one will find Al Hanisim HaGivurot HaTashurot Hamil Hamoth Kuhapaduth. It does not talk. It talks about victory and salvation and freedom. It does not talk about. Uh, it says nothing at all about oil. It does mention that the Jews were able to return to Jerusalem to the Mikdash and rededicate the Mikdash, and they were able to relight the Nur. It doesn't mention anything about a, a miracle of oil. So we see that this was not. This was not the Ikar. But in the Galuth, things become distorted. And this is one such distortion. Okay, thank you very much. We've uh, we've reached the hour, so that's all the questions we can fit in. Um, in Hashem, there will be more Q&A sessions in, uh, in future, so people can get their questions answered on this and other topics. Um, many thanks to the Rav for sharing his time with us. Um, I think it's been a very insightful session and uh, I uh, wish everyone a Chag Hanukkah Sameach. I'm going to end the... Shalom, shalom. Shalom, Koltov. Thank you, Rabbi Bar Chaim. We would like to encourage our listeners to share these podcasts with friends and send in your responses. We would also like to suggest the following opportunity to our listeners. If you identify with Rabbi Bar Chaim's message and would like to sponsor or dedicate a podcast in honor or memory of a loved one, if you would like to obtain Birkon, Nusach Eretz Israel, or invite the rabbi for a speaking engagement, please email us at office at machonshilo.org.